Good morning, and welcome to this August 21st edition of online worship here at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Steve Paul. I'm a lay leader here. And for those of you who tune in occasionally, you know that I am a pinch hitter uh, periodically for our senior pastor when he's unavailable. And the month of August, Pastor Will is taking family leave to celebrate the birth of their fourth child. Uh, little boy George is here. He is safe and well and doing pretty fine as far as I know. But Will has scaled back his activities at Kern during this time, so I'll be doing a little pinch hitting. Our call to worship is short, but it's powerful. Some of you may even recognize it. It comes verbatim from Psalm 71, which is also one of the lectionary readings for this week. And this is verses 1 through 3. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandments to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. And amen. I'd like to invite you to join me in a word of prayer this morning. Let's bow our heads collectively. Heavenly Father, we give thanks this morning for the opportunity to worship, to worship freely, to worship in our safe places. Father, we give thanks in particular for this method of worship that joins us in fellowship across time and space that your people of not so long ago would have thought comical and not possible. But yet, Father, we join our hearts in this way, when we are separated otherwise. Father, we, we have lots of prayer requests that we bring to you in our hearts. So many of us struggle with, with pain, and with discomfort, with uncertainty of test and diagnoses, with finances, with relationships, with jobs with dealing with the world that is so very broken, Father. We lift these things, but in this moment, we ask for more. We ask simply for more of you. To take from us our pain and our agenda and our ego and all those other things that distract us from our best worship. And bring us close to you even if it's just for this little bit of time this Sabbath day, bring us a little closer. Father, we need each other so much in this broken world. A touch, a word, a thought, a deed, simple little things to get by. Father, we need each other in that. We need the fellowship of your people. And so we would ask that you Unite our voices in the prayer that you have taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Our scripture this week comes from Luke 13, 10 to 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were made done by him. Before we enter into the message time, I'd like to invite you into a word of prayer with me, please. Let's bow our heads collectively. Heavenly Father, we pause at this time in our worship service to, in particular, to listen for a word from you. And so to make that happen, we need to invite your spirit among us, and we do so, and we ask for an extra measure of it, that our fellowship might be its strongest and our ears and hearts, they're readiest to hear from you. Father, in order to make that possible, you need to do something for me. You need to correct my thoughts and words, and you need to do something for those who would hear. You need to correct my thoughts and words in their hearts and ears so that we may truly hear from you. Father, in all things, hide each of us in the shadow of the cross so that only your glory is seen. It's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. In the third month of their wandering in the desert, the Israelis came to Mount Sinai. They camped at the foot of the mountain. After some planning with God, God decided that Moses should have the people prepare themselves, prepare themselves for a visitation from God. In order to do that, they would have to be ritually cleansed, all of the people, consecrated to this purpose. And then they would gather around the boundaries at the foot of the mountain that God had established. After two days of preparation, Two days of anticipation on the third day, God would speak to the people. And as the appointed day drew near, as the time was nigh, a long sustained blast of the trumpet, the ram's horn was heard throughout the land and it continued and continued. And the thunder and lightning started up. And the ground shook and a heavy, dense fog or smoke settled over the mountain. And the people, they were crazy with fear. 
They were so crazy with fear, God knew that they weren't going to obey the boundaries. So instead, he invited Moses and Aaron to come to the top of the mountain on their behalf and hear a word from God. And when Moses and Aaron returned to the people, they were bearing the things we call the Ten Commandments. And the fourth of those commandments from Exodus 20, and it's the same essentially in Deuteronomy 5, the fourth of those commandments reads thusly. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and in all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Our Anglicanized word Sabbath almost certainly comes from the Hebrew verb Shabbat, meaning as near as I can tell from my reading and searching, it means to sit or to cease, or to be still. I think quite a lot of people, certainly most Gentiles, and maybe quite a lot of the Jewish faith as well, are pretty confused by the Shabbat laws, particularly since what the pattern of what describes work or not has so very little to do with exertion, with sweat equity. I think... The bigger picture there is that there are lots and lots and lots of rules, an extraordinary number, literally hundreds of pages of Shabbat rules in the thing called the Mishnah. On top of that quantity that is really hard to understand and wade through, not all of these are written down. They're part of an oral tradition, an ancient oral tradition and interpretations thereof. So they're very, very hard to understand, especially for those not raised in that faith. So, in my ignorance of all these details, I need you to hear me say this morning that I don't mean any belittlement to shortchange any of the Sabbath laws for any person or any faith, but also hear me say that it's not so much my task this morning to understand the Sabbath laws it is, as it is to contextualize Jesus in the actions and in the story Luke reports for us this morning. So, with that said, to my eyes, it seems to me that the letter of the Jewish law says that the things that are prohibited, the activities that you can't take place that can't take place on the Sabbath day have to do with ritual work. And by that I mean those things you do habitually or procedurally as part of getting along with the world. Here's an easy example. The things that you do in terms of building, of farming, of traveling, of your business work, of sewing, all of those sorts of things, even if it's just maintenance of something that already exists, 
These aren't okay. Those are the ritual activities of the routine of the world and that you're responding to perceived necessity or convenience. But, for example, in the Shabbat laws, you weren't allowed to build a fire on the Sabbath day. And it didn't matter if you were hungry or you were cold. The issue is that building a fire is part of the ritual of cooking or staying warm. Therefore, it's forbidden. But you also couldn't add even the smallest stick to an existing fire. Not because it required too much work, but because it's still part of the ritual of heating or cooking. So you can't do those things. And it's hard for us to grasp those. Further, for me, Jesus makes a comment in our text this morning about watering your animals on the Sabbath. He says, surely you would do that if your animals needed watering on the Sabbath. But there's a nuance there that I'm not sure if is intended or not. I, I hesitate to say, you know, God directed this. Luke put everything he intended in this text. But the intention to my ears is that, yes, you could untie your animals and take them some distance to water them on the Sabbath. But if you went more than 160 paces round trip, uh, 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 you worked on the Sabbath. So once again, snared by a nuance. So to me, my eyes see that ritualizing this process of stopping ritualized work is still just ritual. So I think that Jesus is saying something else in the text. So what just happened? What motivated the synagogue ruler and Jesus in this story that Luke relates this morning? What emotions and angers and frustrations drive their exchange? My very favorite accidental philosopher, Yogi Berra, was quoted as saying, you can observe a lot just by watching. So let's step back and watch and observe in this parable and consider what's happened. The synagogue ruler is angry. Is he angry with the woman that was healed? Well, as far as we know from the details that Luke reports, and Luke is the only gospel writer who offers this exchange, she did not ask for help. My feeling is that she had probably been in pain so very long that she'd probably given up hope, spoken or otherwise, of ever finding health in this life. I think that perhaps she's motivated to come to the service, the synagogue on this Sabbath, in an extraordinary faithful way, because in addition to all the hurdles of Sabbath that all the Jewish family have to overcome to do such a thing, she has the physical barrier of barely being able to stand upright and certainly not able to walk. And she has the barrier of being unwelcome at the synagogue on the Sabbath because it's the unquestioned domain of men at that day, at that time. So she's shown up and has been very faithful in that. 
But I don't think that makes the synagogue ruler mad either. Perhaps the reputation of this hotshot preacher named Jesus has drawn her to the synagogue on this day. We just don't know. That detail's not available to us, and I think that means it's probably not important to our interpretation. So, insofar as the woman is there and her presence precipitates the event that Luke reports, I think she's probably not the subject of the synagogue leader's ire. Is the synagogue ruler angry with Jesus? Well, yes, I think so. I think the text more or less specifies that. It says that the synagogue ruler is angry because Jesus has worked in a, as a ritual healer on the Sabbath. But it doesn't say that the synagogue ruler is angry at Jesus in the same circumstance for working as a ritual teacher. More importantly to the situation, Jesus intentionally lays his hands on the woman. He intentionally speaks publicly to her. He intentionally lets everybody know it is Jesus who has performed this healing. And it causes the uproar that we read this morning. So I think it's most likely that rather than Jesus not understanding the Sabbath laws very clearly, the synagogue ruler is upset with Jesus because he has disrupted the service. He has tilted the balance of power from what the synagogue ruler expected. And that's a bad thing for the synagogue ruler. Is the synagogue ruler angry with God? Well, maybe. Surely this synagogue leader is an elder Jew and is very familiar with all the scrolls and the traditions. So he knows what Sabbath is about, and he thinks, insofar as he's able, that he's extending himself and marking the rules that God would have him mark in this service. But we need to pay attention, all of us need to pay attention, the synagogue ruler, despite how right he feels, how certain he thinks he is, Jesus knows he's wrong. You all need to remember that that happens occasionally. But remember that the failure of the synagogue ruler's expectations are so severe and so strong and so shaking that he's unable to appreciate the miracle he witnesses and to accept the healing of the woman. So, what if we change our focus just a little bit from the synagogue ruler to Jesus and what he did this morning. In attending at the synagogue, Jesus is demonstrating the practice of community. In particular, he's pointing out that remembering Sabbath is remembering that God's community is that particular group of people, maybe even I could say that peculiar group of people that are created, created and sustained and bound by a common story, a most incredible covenant. Sabbath is for remembering and honoring that blessing. In hate aiding the afflicted woman, Jesus demonstrates that Sabbath encourages us 
even rewards us, if you will, to see ourselves in God's image rather than the images of the world. Images of other, of second class, of less than fully present mentally or physically, lesser in some way, less productive, less cooperative, less coordinating with the world. Those are biases of the world, not of God. In coming to the aid of the afflicted woman, Jesus affirms all covenant people. In poking the Sabbath bear, so to speak, as he did, to intentionally call attention to his actions on this Sabbath, to call that out, Jesus is signaling, maybe even demonstrating in the most positive term, that his love is not to be considered ritual anything. It is other. It is above. It is greater and always. It is the reason for Sabbath. Love first, no matter what, would be the message, even if there are other priorities that seem to be in conflict. So, as a very practical matter, we might consider that God's initial giving of the Sabbath law, the concept of Sabbath, was about the idea of spiritual discipline for this new and forming people. The idea that they need to think ahead, plan forward, and not wait to the last minute on this relationship with God thing. That means for the Hebrews of old, they had to get their work done before sunset on the Sabbath. Think ahead, plan, not wait to the last minute. But wait, that sounds very New Testament too, doesn't it? The idea of planning ahead, not waiting to the last minute, having to do with judgment and restoration of atonement of all those things to receive the Spirit, to receive the gifts of God? Sure, I think those things are related. And in handing the Sabbath bear that he poked such a great platform, Jesus makes it clear what the thing is that we're to plan ahead for, to anticipate, to receive on Sabbath. It's nothing less than himself. He is the gift of Sabbath. He is the reason we celebrate it. So, I want to read you a couple of things from people I read regularly. They are, will be presented as quotes. I hope you know these people. But I think they summarize for me what it is I'm trying to say in the very best way. This first one comes from Richard and Julia Wilkie. Many of you may recognize their names as the authors of the Disciple Bible Study series. Bishop Wilkie and his wife, wife wrote those, gosh, early 90s, I think. So this is not a particularly new or current thought. But here's what they said. Listen carefully. Sabbath means to rest, to cease from work. Why? To remember we do not live by bread alone. To remember we are sustained by providential care. 
to remember the history of our salvation, to remember we are part of a covenant people, to enjoy God and each other, to enjoy the fruits of labor, to be instead of to do, because God said so. The second one is from Barbara Brown Taylor. She is a Christian author and inspirational speaker, perhaps among many other things. And I've read several of the things she's written. I find this very striking and, and to the point for our Sabbath discussion today. At least one day in every seven, pull off the car road and park the car in the garage. Close the door to this tool shed and turn off your computer. Stay home, not because you are sick, but because you are well. Talk someone you love into being well with you. Take a nap, take a walk, take a full hour for lunch. Test the premise that you are worth more than you can produce, that even if you spent one whole day of being good for nothing, you would still be precious in God's sight. And when you get anxious because you're convinced that this is not so, remember that your own conviction is not required. This is a commandment. Your worth has already been established, even when you are not working. The purpose of the commandment is to woo you to this very same truth. So, ultimately, I would pose to you that Jesus was not too unhappy with the synagogue ruler for not understanding the Sabbath rules. But he probably was disappointed that in correction there was no repentance and learning, only anger. And as a result, the synagogue ruler missed the gift of Sabbath, missed the gift of Jesus. He was unable to keep the Sabbath holy. Would that we do better. Peace be among you, and amen. So maybe it's okay to mow your yard this afternoon, but you have to like it, and you have to like being outside in creation instead of upset with God for creating messy and needy lawn covers. So always remember, friends, always remember that to Jesus, Sabbath wasn't a regulation, wasn't a set of rules. It was much, much more. Jesus is Lord of Sabbath, but he is even more than that. He is Sabbath. He is the gift. Let's always remember it. Always be ready to receive and keep it holy. And now receive this benediction, if you would. Now may the most excellent grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, go with each of you now and always, finding peace for you, finding ways to keep the Sabbath holy. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.